because I was trying to be everyone's perfect somebody, but I can never measure up to perfection. You know, I wanted to be the teacher's perfect student, my dad's perfect daughter, my brother's perfect sister, my friend's perfect friend, my boyfriend's perfect girlfriend, like everyone's perfect somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's impossible for anyone out there who's trying to do that. Just know it's impossible. Ooh, I need to be Hey, Mom Nation, welcome to our From the Heart podcast, where we share inspirational stories, useful information, and we discuss a wide variety of women-related topics. While you're listening to this episode on your favorite podcast platform, please subscribe to our channel and rate us so that we can get this information out to the moms that need to hear it. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are at Mom Nation USA. That's our handle on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Mom Nation, and welcome back to From the Heart, the podcast, basically, that is just that, and talking about women's issues, talking about inspirational stories, talking about women who went through some really crazy stuff and how they sort of overcame that and how they fixed that damage done and how they moved on with strength. And, and it's just, that's what this podcast is. It's just really about talking with women and sharing with other women our stories. And so thank you guys for coming back and welcome 2023. Right before we get started, we actually have a two-time guest here. She did her part one last year in 2022, and we're going to continue on with her part two now. But before we get started, I just wanted to do a quick shout out to a really good friend of mine, Marcy Sawyer with Barn of Crafts. She's located here in Arizona where we are. But I do know that she can ship all over the country. So definitely don't let that hold you back. Check her out. Check out Barn of Crafts. They make custom designs for your home or business. They can make custom signs, shelves, game pieces for your game room. Basically, if you can dream it, they can make it. They made me an amazing piece for my mother-in-law for Christmas this year. It was made out of wood and it was kind of like, um, you know, those Scrabble pieces. Have you seen those where you have kids' names? So I put together her grandchildren's names for my mother-in-law and they all luckily fit together because they share letters, right? And so she made this really cute piece for me and um, it was it was really a joy to give to my mother-in-law because you know how grandmas love those grandbabies, right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Here we are with Rebecca. Rebecca is back. When we talked with Rebecca last year, I mean, it was just a couple of months ago, if I remember right. But when we talked with Rebecca, we talked through um, the fact that she had received SA at the hands of her stepfather, basically. Um, and we talked through, you know, what happened to her, what those signs were, um, and eventually got to the point in the story where the word got out. So it, it, it had been known now what had been going on for so many years. And he passed away at that time, correct? Yes. So, can, um, can you take you us from there? Yeah. Um, thank you for having me back. I've had a lot of people asking me when I was going to be doing my part two. So, <laughs> so here um, we are. Glad that we, yeah, glad that we're able to do that. Um, so yeah. So after everything got found out, um, he ended up committing suicide, um, and that's how he passed. And that was really hard obviously on my psyche, because I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, because it was a couple months ago, but he always said that if anyone found out that he would die, 
And so that kind of guilt, like, oh my gosh, it's my fault. You know what I mean? Like he did it because of me. Like he warned me this would happen. And then with that came, well, if he was telling me the truth about that, what else was he telling me the truth about? Everyone else was calling him a pathological liar and saying that, you know, shouldn't have trusted him and that he was a bad guy. None of it was my fault, but he did tell the truth about stuff, you know? So it became one of those things where I was like, really confused and this was when I was 14 years old so it was like right when I was hitting that hormonal surge of entering teen years <laughs> that awkward age yeah and so I didn't know really what to do from there and my family tried to put me in all these different types of therapies um where we did some you know they would have me like draw or like act out certain things and when they would talk to me about it they showed me a video about sexual abuse and stuff like that and either none of it either really worked or the therapist just disappeared <laughs> so I've been through like a lot of different therapies and stuff like that and and I resorted to my own coping skills which as you probably as a lot of people out there probably know that doesn't always end up good when you resort to your own coping skills Right, right. A quick question that I have, um, was there a letter left behind? Oftentimes in situations like that, there's a letter or some sort of message or some sort of last words. Was there anything left behind? He recorded videos to each of us, me and my brother, my sister, and my mom. I don't remember exactly what those videos said, um, but yeah, he recorded videos all of us. Um, I remember watching them. I don't remember what they said, though. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was a lot of that that I like, blocked out. Yeah, I'm sure. But I do remember the last thing he said to me was, why did you have to tell them everything? Which further enforced the fact that it was all my fault. Mm. So that didn't make you feel any better. I mean, I was thinking, you know, maybe he added something in there, like it wasn't your fault or, you know, um, some sort of message like that. But no, huh? I think he believed that what he was doing wasn't wrong. I mean, obviously, since he did commit suicide, like on some level, he knew that it was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the fact that he kept trying to get me to hide it, like on some level, he knew that it was wrong. But I also think that he thinks that he was in right um, because of the stuff he went through as a child. So this was something that he went through as well? Not sexual abuse, not that I'm aware of, but he was like thrown into like all these different foster cares and stuff and he was abused as a child. So he always showed us videos like when we were really young, he would show us videos about kids, um, what kids go through who don't have it as good as us, constantly reminding us how good we had it mm. and how much worse it could be and how much worse he had it. <laughs> um, so I think that he felt justified and didn't really see it anything wrong with what he was doing with me aside from that kind of subconscious moral thing where like you know you're doing something wrong but you also does that make sense like uh -huh. people who do like they, they know they're doing something wrong but they also don't actually believe that it's wrong that makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> um so he never actually told me that it was not my fault he told me he couldn't even look at me the last time I saw him 
um, almost like he was disgusted with me. And of course, I didn't have anything to say back to him as to why I told everyone. I was just like, it, it just kind of came out, mm -hmm. you know. He told, he he told, and so I thought since he told, it was okay for me to tell people. Ah, because did you know what he told? Well, he he didn't tell directly. Um, when him and my mom got into a big fight, and he was drunk. And she came in through the back door. And at the same moment she came in, he told me, Rebecca, you are the most beautiful girl. I'm a beautiful girl that I've never been romantically involved with. So my mom heard that. And obviously she flipped. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it came um, out, right? Because it wasn't something that you said. It was something that he ultimately said, just didn't plan that time very well. Right. So, and the way that I looked at it from like a 13, 14 year old's point of view was that he told, right. I think the way that he looked at it was he was drunk. So I could have played it off as that. Like he didn't know what he was talking about, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I took the other direction and finally came clean about what else, what everything was going on. Because at that moment, it was almost a relief that I didn't have to not talk about it anymore. Right. And you're a child. Like, how would you, you know, oftentimes children tell the truth. Why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah. Unless they're groomed otherwise. Like, right. you know, kids say the darndest things. <laughs> they do. It's so true. So true. <laughs> so it was, it was just one of those things. And then, but so I don't remember what he said on my video or anyone else's for that matter, but I do but, remember. But you did have one. Yeah. Yeah. He left videos. He didn't write a letter. He left videos, which I think was even harder because we saw him in those videos out in the woods. You know what I mean? And then knowing what he did afterwards, like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's one of those things that I would not wish that upon even my worst enemy, having to deal with that kind of guilt that you're responsible for someone else's death. Mm -hmm. Um, and then everyone was confusing me, telling me that it wasn't my fault, but, and in a way, like I knew that it wasn't because he did it, but he told me it would happen if I told, mm -hmm. you know, and so I was very confused because I was like, but I did tell and he warned me about it and it did happen. And now you're sitting here telling me that it's not my fault. Like it is my fault. Like. And so I resorted to cutting myself. Um, I felt like no one was punishing me for my act and everything. And I felt like I needed to be punished. So I took that upon myself to punish myself. So I would cut myself and my cutting became almost an addiction where I would do it even when I was happy. Um, that was my main source of um, coping with anything. Um, and I never really cut deep enough where I could like make a major vein or anything like that. Like I don't even really have scars because I didn't really get very deep. Um, and then as I got older and met people who I thought I could connect with because they had, you know, gone through self-harm and stuff like that. They all told me, you know, that I wasn't an actual cutter because I didn't go very deep. Wow. So there was a lot of like confusion in my life after yeah. 
after he passed. Um, there was also a lot of confusion about the way that men treated me. And it was like I was looking for love, but I was 14 and didn't know what love was. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of like boyfriends who would use me for sex. And that's not uncommon in teens. You know what I mean? A lot of right. Horny teen guys will be. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I got so very confused as to why guys couldn't like me for who I was. Um, and so I ended up moving on to girls as well. Um, and they kind of treated me a little bit better, but none of that would, none of those relationships were all that stable either. One was a girl who bullied me before she became my girlfriend. Another one was a girl who was a pathological liar. She would tell people that she was pregnant and that she miscarried just to see who would be around, who she could rely on. Um, so she was a pathological liar. And then another one was still with her boyfriend while she was dating. Oh, wow. <laughs> and her boyfriend knew. But it wasn't like a three-way relationship. Like I wasn't dating him. I was dating her, but he was also dating her. And then when I broke up with her because I couldn't handle that kind of confusion and I liked her too much to really share her, um, she got really mad at me. Mm. So it was even, even with girls, it was very complicated and I, I never understood why. So I just resorted to being promiscuous, you know? beat them to the punch so it didn't hurt me so bad um I also didn't realize that a lot of times with sexual abuse it happens more than once with victims it's almost like you've got like this like stamp on your forehead um so it took me a while to even realize that my stepdad was the only one um like when I lost my virginity that was essentially a case of intoxicated rape because he got me drunk first and then took my victory. And then he sent me on the city bus back to school. Wow. <laughs> um, and I didn't know that that was rape because no one actually explained to me what was going on when it came to sex. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. just always that sex was bad and that I shouldn't do it and that I should wait until marriage. But no one explained like what is and isn't consent. What, um, is appropriate for a guy to treat you a certain way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so there were other guys um, as well instead of just my stepdad. And you'll find that is very common with sexual abuse victims or rape victims is it's never really just one person that did mm -hmm. it. Which is really sad um, because no one should have to go through that a lot, especially as a child yeah. or a teen. Um, and so needless to say all that, it was a very, very confused team who was acting out a lot, obviously mm -hmm. hated my family. I absolutely hated them, pushed them away a lot because I felt like I was the biggest disappointment in the world because I was trying to be everyone's perfect somebody, but I can never measure up to perfection. You know, I wanted to be the teacher's perfect student, my dad's perfect daughter, my brother's perfect sister, my friend's perfect friend, my boyfriend's perfect girlfriend like everyone's perfect somebody mm -hmm. um and that's impossible 
for anyone out there who's trying to do that, just know it's impossible. (laughs) You can't be everyone's perfect somebody. You just can't. Um, You, there are people out there who you will be friends with. There are people out there who won't be friends with you. You cannot win them all. Um, And I know people who like that, who try to be friends with everybody. And they get so hurt when people don't want to be friends with them. Like you just, people are just so different. Yeah. You know, it's not really a personal thing. It's just, the more, but the more you try, the more you're going to disappoint yourself. You know, just be you. Be you. And if people accept you, people accept you. If they don't, well, you know, that's all mine. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So the coping skills that I've, I've heard so far are um, the cutting, um, the becoming promiscuous. Is there anything else that you know that happened at that time that you did to? self-soothe or somehow fix what had happened um I was very rebellious against my family and I feel like that was a coping skill because they were trying to look out for me but I felt like I was such a big disappointment to them that I can't handle this so I gravitated towards people who enabled me which were my friends um and so I did stuff with, you know, my friends. I started smoking at the age of 15. Um, I started drinking around that time as well. Never did drugs. That was one thing I never did do. <laughs> um, but I think a big coping skill was not being close to my family because it was family that hurt me. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't blood family, but it was family that hurt me. And it was family that I was hurting and I couldn't handle I couldn't handle the fact that I was hurting them. So I did whatever I could to stay as far away from them as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Is there anything that you ended up doing either at that point in time or later on in life that really did help that you maybe wish that you would have been able to do sooner or anything like that? Um, so we tried the therapy and stuff and like I said, that was like hit or miss as to whether or not it worked. I mean, there was one guy, there was one therapist who was actually getting somewhere with me, but then he kind of like fell off the face of the earth. I don't know what happened to him. Um, but my aunt saw the direction that I was headed and she saw me either winding up as a teenage statistic with pregnancy and stuff like that, or Mm -hmm. ending up in jail, um, or committing suicide. Um, and so she took it upon herself to introduce me to a, um, essentially it was a rehabilitation center called Mercy Ministries. It was a Christian rehabilitation center and it's funded by, um, by donations. Um, and it, they help minors and adult women. I mean, I went to the minor house, so I went to the house that house minors, not any of the adults. Um, and it has to be the participant's choice to go. They can't be forced with a court order or anything like that, like most rehabilitation centers. And this was more of like a life rehabilitation center, not really drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, They helped women with life-altering circumstances that they went through. So like attempted suicide, teenage pregnancies, um, single pregnancies, um, sexual abuse, self-harm, drugs and alcohol abuse, um, pretty much anything that is like life-altering. And I... 
really liked it. A lot of people, after I got out, a lot of people started calling it a cult. Like a lot of like previous user pe- people who went before him were called, started calling it a cult, saying it didn't help them at all and all that stuff. And oh. I, I found that it helped me a lot. Bought my aunt on it quite a bit because at that time I was like, I'm not Christian. Like, this is going to be ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to do this. Like, God is nowhere to be found. Like, there's no God. Like, why would I go to a Christian place? Like, and I don't want to leave my friends because at that point, my friends were my coping mechanism. Um, they weren't a healthy coping mechanism, but they were a coping mechanism. And so it took me at least a year to actually apply for it after my aunt introduced it to me. Um, so I got accepted in January of 2019 and I graduated the program June, June, yeah, June of 2019. So I was there for six months. And that's not to say I didn't get into trouble <laughs> while I was there. Got into trouble a couple times with a couple of the girls who were also um, struggling with sexual abuse and um, same-sex attraction. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I never started a relationship with any of those girls, but they were always reverse about us because we got really close. Um, mm-hmm. One of the rules there, though, was you weren't allowed to talk about why you were there they said that that didn't help with your healing process constantly bringing that up you could only talk about that in your therapy sessions so you couldn't tell the other like you couldn't tell the other girls why you were there some of them were obvious you know like the ones who were struggling from eating disorders they were kind of obvious why you know you could see why they were there um but so yeah so I got into a little bit of trouble while I was there but never actually got kicked out like I got close to being kicked out didn't get kicked out and I found that that six months was probably the happiest I ever felt in a long time um and I think a lot of that had to do with I didn't have any responsibilities to myself or to anyone else they scheduled my days they told me what I needed to do they told me what I needed to eat they made sure I took medications and I made friends I was essentially responsibility-free. It's kind of like what they say um, um, about jail. If you want to be like 100% taken care of, you know, go to jail. You got your medical, you got your housing, you got your food. The only thing you don't have there is your freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything else is taken care of. Like you have no responsibilities there. It's all done for you. That's kind of what it was, except it didn't feel like jail obviously it was a very good place for me to go mm-hmm. um but, but I think that that's where my healing initially started and then after I graduated the program they set you up with an accountability partner in your own church and it had to be someone who was in your church because they wanted to maintain that place um relationship that you started when you were there um so they set me up with an ability accountability partner who I met with weekly after that throughout um high school and then I stopped seeing her when I got to college college I kind of fell off the wagon because you know with any kind of recovery system you can always there's always that chance that you can fall off the wagon right um college I kind of fell off the wagon um got into some trouble uh, met some good friends but then also met some people who weren't the best for me um a lot of my bullying ended up coming back actually a lot of my bullying started when I went back to high school after my student ministries People were telling me that the reason I had become a Christian was because only Jesus could love a slut like me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. 
Um, of course, now I look back and say, you know, if Jesus is the only one that loves me, then what better love could I ask for? He yeah. literally gave his life for me and he created the whole world. Like, if he's the only one that loves me, so be it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but at that time, though, it hurt. You know, apparently there were rumors that the reason I left school was because I had wound up pregnant. Um, all my friends had abandoned me at that point. And then, so when I got to college, I was like, fresh start, this is going to be great. But the bullying came back. There were new photos of me that got leaked from high school people. Mm. Um, people calling me from undisclosed phone numbers saying that I was asking how much I cost. And when I was biting them back, they said, well, I guess that means that you're a slut, not a whore, because at least whores get paid. Um, so a lot of a lot of that, a lot of the bullying too was very sexual, which didn't help with the fact that I was sexually abused. Right. Um, so my self-esteem has never been the best, especially when it came to sex. Sex then became a huge trigger and a um, kind of something that I just kind of forced myself not to partake in. And that has not helped much with my marriage. Having to overcome that after I had gotten married, because I met my husband when I was in a very promiscuous stage in college. So then he started to realize what actually meant, what sex actually was to me when I stopped doing it again. Because I go through these phases of where I'm like really into it and really not because it's such a big trigger. Right. So that has, you know, so, but the fact that my husband has loved me and stayed with me through it is encouraging and helps a lot with my healing process mm-hmm. um because not because no one else really did mm-hmm. you know what I mean mm-hmm. um but so sex has always been one of those things to me where it was never a beautiful experience like a lot of people kind of explain it to be or say that it should be when especially when it's in a loving relationship because me and my husband are in a real loving relationship but there's still those triggers that come mm-hmm. up. There's things I can't do with my husband that I wish, you know, I could give that to him because it's stuff that I know he would like. Um, and that's not to say, though, that I'm not healed. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone ever gets 100% healed from what they went through. Yeah, know? I don't think so. It's, it's always a process. It's always a process. Um. I mean, we now have two boys and stuff like that. So obviously sex is not something that we don't do. (laughs) Right, right. Science. We can see it. (laughs) Yeah. But it it is one of those things where that is probably my biggest hurdle in life, which is pretty ironic being a doula now because that's (laughs) like my whole career now is helping people with pregnancies because they have you know (laughs) but uh, (laughs) um but yeah it's the whole healing process like I'm definitely not through it I am still in therapy um I see uh, a therapist at women's health innovations um I am off my meds now so that's a good progress thing but um I still have very limited coping skills and there are times where I forget to where I forget what my coping skills are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so that's kind of where the process has kind of taken me and I don't think it's going to be a process that ever has an end until I die like it's going to be a lifelong journey but I I'm doing I'm in a much better place now like stuff that people say to me now doesn't hurt as much as it used to um I'm not searching a lot for self-validation anymore um or for other valid others validation um and I credit a lot of that to therapy and my husband and God really um being more plugged into a church and every time I fell off the wagon was also when I stopped going to church. I was going to ask you how faith played a part in your healing. I mean, you've told us some of it, um, but you know, maybe you can kind of dive into it a little bit deeper as to what specifically changed for you once you became faithful. I, what if, so one of the harder things for me when I was in the process of getting closer to God and stuff was understanding, especially when other people would ask me, like, how can you believe in someone who would put you through all of that? You know what I mean? Like, and the way that I look at it is it's kind of like the story of Joseph in Genesis. I look at him as kind of a role model. Like he was beaten by his brothers and bullied and he was sold into slavery and then he was jailed by the person who owned him and he eventually came out on top because he remained faithful to God but did God do all that to him no God didn't do that to him God didn't do any of this to me God didn't stop it either because he gives us free will and we choose what we want to do with that free will there are evil people out there. There are people who, you know, like my stepdad didn't believe in God. Um, there are people out there who will use free will against other people. Mm-hmm. But God will not interfere with free will. And, and, but just because he didn't stop it doesn't mean that he, did, he wanted me to go through that. And I see now where going through that puts me in a in a unique position to help other people Mm -hmm. and so surrendering a lot of that to god one i don't have to hold on to it myself anymore um god can help carry that cross for me and i mean i'm constantly still trying to forgive my um stepfather you know i forgive him but there are times when i have to re-forgive him but you know holding on to that unforgiveness and that hatred just it's it's not if you're holding on to hatred there's no room for happiness there's no room for joy um it's kind of like what i tell my clients when they're in labor um your body needs to produce oxytocin in order for you to have contractions and for your labor to progress and for everything to go smoothly when you start getting scared when you start feeling unsafe, when you start having all of these like thoughts during labor, like if anything comes up, like if you were sexually abused and that starts coming up during labor, you're going to start producing cortisol and cortisol is going to stall your progress in labor, but you cannot, you cannot produce, the body cannot physically produce cortisol and oxytocin at the same time. Right. And in the same way, your emotional well-being cannot hold hatred and happiness at the same time. 
It just can't. It's either one or the other. And God has also shown me that there's a difference between happiness and joy. Um, happiness is very circumstantial. Things can make you happy. People can make you happy. It is not a constant state of being. Um, because obviously, you know, if you had a death in the family, you're not happy. You know right. what I mean? It's very circumstantial. But joy, that joy that you have in, inside, that is what's going to get you through those hard times. And that is um, really hard to hold on to, especially when you go through something really tough. Um, but that's what people need. People need to, happiness is overrated. <laughs> happiness is overrated. What you need to focus on is finding that joy. You know, something mm -hmm. that keeps you going even when you're not happy. And to me, that was God. Um, he He brought that presence into my life, that that joy. He brought that stability into my life. And I always felt more at peace when I was in church or with a group of believers, even if they didn't know what was going on mm -hmm. than I felt when I was alone and with people who enabled me and validated all of the harmful things I was doing to myself mm -hmm. yeah Makes and sense. as humans though we gravitate towards people who will accept us right. as we are including our flaws but accepting our flaws does not always help you need someone who's going to push you beyond that mm -hmm. and God does that for for me um, so anytime I get into like a phone you know, my God, my husband doesn't believe in God, but anytime I get into a fog, one of his first questions is, when's the last time you went to church? <laughs> <laughs> when's the last time you spent time with God? Um, going to church is like going to my best friend's house. You know what I mean? Like you just, you go somewhere and you, it's like you're happy at my happy place, you know, when you feel like you really need to talk to someone and you go to your friend's house. That's kind of what going to church is like for me. Mm -hmm. So I made that a priority um, in my life, but God didn't, I believe in him because of who he is and what he has done, not what I have been through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And so anybody, you know, could, um, could take that advice and it doesn't necessarily have to be God, right? If they're, if the, you know, if they call it the universe or whatever they call it, it's like still the same concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but, you know, for me, it's, it's God and um, everyone has their own beliefs that get them through things, you know what I mean? But everyone mm -hmm. yeah, has always been like the number one question was why, how can you believe in someone who let you go through that? And, and I tell them, I'm like, I don't believe in him because of what I've been through. I believe in him because of what he has done mm -hmm. and what he has done through me since then. Um, and how he has gotten me through it. Um, but I mean, I could say that too, about like, if I believed in Odin or if I believed in, any of it, like the Vishnu gods or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, I can look at them, those deities and still say, why did you allow me to go through this? Because ultimately I went through it. It doesn't matter which deity is in power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I went through, you know what I mean? So deity is not the issue here. Um, it's how you get through it and who gets you through it. Totally agree. So last question I have is, um, do you have any advice for others that might have gone through the same thing or, you know, kind of take me back to when it all happened and he passed away and the word got out. Is there anything that you now looking back 
wish that you would have been guided to, to get help for you more quickly so that you perhaps could have avoided going through the self-harm, the promiscuity, that kind of thing? I don't know if there was anything that could have been done differently because my family did what they, they did push a lot. And I think I just pushed back. So my, my advice would be when people are trying to help you, don't push them away. Yeah. Don't gravitate towards the easiest people who enable you because that's what I did. You know, like, like the promiscuity was a lot of that was my own, like the, self-harm was self-hatred the promiscuity was insecurity but it was also like I had been going through a sexual abuse experience for the past seven to nine years and it was a constant thing and sex whether it's sexual abuse or not does release hormones in your body that can be relatively addictive Mm -hmm. so when it was cut off it was like a drug addict coming off of a withdrawal that makes like I need a sense right even if I didn't want it (laughs) um and so I think that I could have gotten help a lot sooner and I think I could have not fallen into those poor coping mechanisms if I didn't push my family away Mm -hmm. um I didn't accept their help. I didn't want their help because I didn't want to disappoint them again. Right. Um, part of me also feels like they pushed a little too hard and a little too quickly to get me help. Like as soon as we found out, let's get her into therapy. Let's get her talking about this. Let's like file police reports. And all that is good. Like, yes, file a police report right away if you've been sexually assaulted because that's, you know, the, the evidence has, right. has a shelf life. But there was no evidence on my body. Um and it was just it was just all happening so fast and I didn't know why or what was going on um all I felt was fear and confusion and instead of focusing on the fact that I felt fear and confusion they just wanted to fix it and I get that you want to fix when when your loved one is hurting like you do but for people who know people who are struggling take the time to not fix them right away the time to listen to them see what they actually need what i needed right away wasn't necessarily therapy and police reports and restraining orders it was especially because he was dead i didn't need restraining orders then right um it was what i needed was time to process what was going on because i didn't know i was going through an abusive situation Mm -hmm. i didn't even know it was abusive Mm-hmm. And so then all of a sudden it was, and it was just like, well, what's happening here? You know, but it's our instinct to want to fix things for our friends and our family. And our exactly. Family. We want to fix, but try not, you know, wait, try to wait a little bit and try to see what, what it exactly it is they're feeling because that will direct you in a way that will tell you how to best help them that they won't automatically reject and I don't know what it was that I needed at that moment all I know is that I felt a lot of fear and I felt a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense and you know I just want to say I admire your strength I admire your ability to even talk about this in front of 
all these people, anyone, you know, really, I mean, I know that uh, you've got some family members and things that will probably listen to this. And I just wanted to reach out and give you a big old virtual hug because it's really admirable and it really shows a huge amount of strength that you're not only able to get yourself through it and know that you're worth getting through it. So you're taking these steps because you know that you're worth getting through it, but also to share with others and help them, you know, help maybe instill a little confidence in them that they're worth it too. And that it's important for them to, you know, do what it takes to attempt at least. I mean, I agree with you. I think you'll never always, you never get totally over it. Like you never totally get rid of it, but like you had mentioned, it can get better. So if anybody's out there listening and is in the same situation, get better. Like you're worth getting better. And I know, right. I mean, and you're never going to be 100% better. Like, even if you don't go through this kind of stuff, like you're mm -hmm. not going to be your life is a constant pursuit of bettering yourself. No matter what you go through, you could have a pristine childhood. That doesn't mean that it's okay for you to stay where you are. Right. Right. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. is also mentality like don't don't tell yourself you're just recovering tell yourself that you know you are victorious like you you did get through it Mm -hmm. you know even in the moments where it feels like you didn't like I'm here he's not I got through it yeah I still have some issues because I'm still working on healing but no one's ever 100% healed so I I am not a victim of my sexual abuse I am I am someone who overcame that Mm-hmm. And I am not in a constant state of recovery. I am someone who is recovered and may have backslides, but I'm recovered. Mm-hmm. I am healed. Um, I am healed. That doesn't mean that there's still triggers. Right. But if I tell myself that I'm not healed, that I'm still a victim, that I'm just recovering, lifelong recovering, then what does that tell me? What does that tell myself worth? Mm-hmm. Tells me that I can't get over it, that I'll never get over it, that I'm going to constantly be in this stuck state. And that's not true. Not true. You know what I mean? Like a lot of it is what you tell yourself. You can lie to yourself negatively or you can lie to yourself positively. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the um, the story that you're telling yourself. I tell people that a lot, um, my clients and stuff, when they're telling me like, what they're worried about and we've discussed their concerns for birth and stuff like that and they bring it up again like what story are you telling yourself are you telling yourself this is what's going to happen to you in labor or are you telling yourself this is not you know mm-hmm. what story are you telling yourself about your abuse or your circumstances um if you you know you and i are both business owners but if we didn't see how our business would progress when we started we wouldn't have our businesses Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. told ourselves a story that we didn't even, that wasn't even in fruition yet, but we called it in fruition. The same thing with your feelings. You it know? makes so much you sense. Also, yeah. And you have to also take the steps to do it. It's not just, you. it's not just what you tell yourself. Um, you cannot rewire your brain without action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And, and again, I, I want to thank you for being here and sharing your time with us and sharing your story with us. Um, I can't imagine it necessarily gets easier to 
kind of retell that story. And I don't know how many times you've done so in your lifetime, but I want to thank you for being here. Is this is, is this is, is it actually okay? the first time I've done it publicly? So that tells a lot about my healing. It tells a lot about your healing. It really does. Like I, I I tell myself that a lot because I don't really talk a lot about my story because I don't want people to pity me and I don't yeah. want people to view that part as me. And I don't want people to, I've met a lot of people who use it as a marketing trait mm. people to feel bad for them and be friends with them because they feel bad for them. And I never wanted to be that. I can connect with someone who has been through sexual abuse without making it about my abuse. Right. Right. And I think that that's really huge. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I don't really talk a lot about it unless I'm specifically asked. So, and I don't know if that was partly avoidance or partly good intention. It was probably a mixture of both, but the fact that I can come up here with you and publicly talk about it now and break my silence tells a lot. I totally agree. And if somebody's out there that is um, sort of contemplating breaking their silence or might have some other questions for you. Are you open to them reaching out to you on Facebook or something? Yeah, definitely. Reach out to me and, um, you know, I'm here for you to talk to if you need someone to talk to, if you feel like no one else understands. If you need resources, I'm here. I can give you some resources. I know a couple of the therapists, um, Laura being one of them, our friend yeah. Laura Wood, she's a great one. Um, and then I, you know, and if anyone has, a history of sexual abuse and is also pregnant and worried about how that's going to affect their pregnancy, I would be more than happy to talk with you and uh, walk with you through that journey. Um, if your pregnancy is because of sexual abuse or if your pregnancy is because of a good thing, but you feel like your sexual abuse might surface, because trust me, it might, um, I am more than happy to to walk with you through that journey as well. So just, just anything, if you just, if you just want a friend <laughs> and here, I primarily a stay-at-home mom so I and I run my business on my phone so I'm almost always on my phone <laughs> oh that's that's so sweet of you Becca I will put the um, link to your business page here in the show notes so then people can just uh, connect with you there and message you there if they want to get in touch um, thank you again so much for being here and, and for all of you out there if you are interested in checking out any of our previous episodes for the from the heart podcast or any of our other episodes of <laughs> The, the many, many shows that we do over here at Mom Nation, you can hop on over to our YouTube and our handle over there is at Mom Nation USA. Just scroll down and you'll see all of the playlists from our shows. We have one more show that is going to make its debut in 2023. So I'm super excited about that and to add that topic to our repertoire. Um, if you are more of the audio type, maybe you run a lot, maybe you drive a lot in your car, then you can hop on over to your favorite podcast platform and do a quick search for Mom Nation Talk Radio. Subscribe to that and you will then be notified every time we have a new show that drops on that channel. Thank you so much, Becca. And thank you all out there. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Katie. Bye. Bye.